good to see you this morning. Thankful for those joining us in the venue, those joining us online as well. It's a, a significant morning. Actually, last night was a significant night because last night you finished 40 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I don't know what different people chose. We didn't dictate a fast. We said you choose what you're going to fast to, to uh, have some time and some focus on the Lord. Evidently, many people gave up sugar because in the coffee shop this morning, 8.05, there were no cookies, no donuts, no muffins, no scones, nothing. <laughs> Don't panic and run out. It's still there. You'll be able to get it after the service this morning. No, it's been a great time. You know, I thought this morning as the rain was falling, we've seen some refreshing rain around here the last few weeks, and we're certainly grateful for that and grateful for the, what the Lord is doing and how he's moving in this place. I wanted to read you this morning, <clears throat> there were many, just a few um, emails we got uh, related to the fast, just to, to kind of get a flavor of how it was for different folks within our congregation. This first person wrote in, fasting from social media was amazing. Reading scripture and journaling is so much more satisfying than mindlessly scrolling Facebook. And I encountered a lot of people that gave up social media, and it has been a, a wonderful experience just to stay away uh, from all of that. Uh, second person wrote in from day 21, Psalm 63, you are my God. The power of those words is profound when spoken out loud. That's probably a great thing for us to speak out loud each day, especially as we face challenges in the day, reminded that he is our God. Uh, another one, I'm getting more clarity and how I serve the Lord. And that was one of the things we wanted to pray for, is that we all would experience renewal in and of ourselves, as well as renewal within our body and our service to the Lord. Here's another one. Even though I had set time to spend with God daily, I see now that with this fast and focus on God, I notice my thoughts throughout the day are more on Him. Staying focused and cued in on listening to Him during the day. Listening to things he wants me to do, people to help, situations or others to pray for, just being ready and open to his direction for me. Also being specific in speaking out loud the word of God. Here's another. Each day as I fast, I become more enlightened with the presence of Jesus in my life. I feel that without God's presence in my life, I'm walking blind. It's hard to imagine what it would be like not to have Jesus in your life. I needed to spend much more time on my knees. I need to spend much more time on my knees and less time wasted. God has only given each of us so much time before our calling home. I want to use my time with wisdom rather than wasting it on the things that produce nothing beneficial to the kingdom of God. God has shown up in unexpected ways solving issues I didn't see a solution for. This fasting time has given me a time to be reminded that my prayer and quiet time is the most important part of my day and should always be top priority every day. And then finally, uh, one of our ladies wrote in, I'm committed to a lot less time on my phone and more time listening to God during the 40-day fast. And then she explained a little bit about what was happening in her life. Her husband was in the hospital. She had, was spending a lot of hours there. She says, normally I would have gotten out my phone for Facebook or playing word games. Instead, I asked God to use me to glorify him and went walking through the hospital praying he would take me to the right people. It's been a very rewarding few days as God opened the door to be a comfort to people going through difficult times. Well, it's been incredible, and there were so, so many others. It's been incredible to see and hear how the Lord is moving and speaking. You know, he's speaking to us as his children all the time, but this time of fasting and prayer has probably helped us and prepared us to, to listen better. 
And I thought it'd be appropriate this morning, um, before we get into the message, it'd be appropriate for us to wrap up our time of corporate fasting with a time of corporate prayer. And so there are five areas um, that I want us to pray through together this morning. And I've asked five of our pastors to come and to lead us through this time of prayer. Well, many of us have had a renewed desire to seek him over these last few weeks. Uh, the time we spent has been a great blessing and has drawn us closer to him. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and pray with me this morning. Just take a moment by yourself and pray that the Lord will increase your hunger for time with him and in his word. Pray that we will prioritize our time with him and recognize our schedule doing whatever it takes to spend time with him daily. Father, it's easy to get busy with life, with work, with family, with kids, with grandkids. Life can get really busy if we let it. And most often times, for me, and for many of us, it's easy to push you to the back. God, I ask you to forgive us for the times that we don't make you the priority. God, I thank you for how you have stirred our hearts these last few weeks. God, for more and more of you. God, I pray that you would continue to renew that desire within each of us. And may we seek you with all of our heart and with all of our soul. One of the realities of doing the prayer and fast corporately is that we're called as a corporate body to be obedient. And when God speaks to us, we need to be prepared to respond. Obedience is vital in our ongoing relationship with him as individuals, but also as a body of believers. A couple of scriptures to remind us of that. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Luke 6:46. Jesus calls to the Pharisees, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to do? Pray with me. The next moment or two, pray that we all would be obedient to what the Lord has shown us these past 40 days. Pray that our obedience is timely, that we do not put off his instruction and his clarity to us.
and ask the Lord to help you put your yes on the table and tell God that you will obey whatever new or additional direction he's given you in the days ahead. Father, I know over the last month and a half, we all have heard you speak to us. And it may have been a quiet whisper or a loud crack of thunder in our life. Father, I pray that what you said would not fall upon deaf ears, but you would give us the strength and the courage and the mind and the passion to follow you in obedience. Father, let us be willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary so that we can be obedient people, obedient in our workplaces, obedient in our homes, obedient with our children and grandchildren. But most of all, Father, obedient in your church and towards you, that you would lead and guide us and that we be willing to be led and we would follow you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've been sensing that the Lord is calling us to expand our ministry even beyond these walls into new areas. We want to be faithful to carry out that work even while we continue to serve him very faithfully here. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's bow together for prayer. Let me ask you first to pray for continued direction on the vision the Lord has given us here. Pray for clarity on how it is that we are to fulfill the plans that he has for us. Pray for the willingness to take steps of faith when he calls us out of our comfort zone. Father, often it is very easy to sit here comfortably in our own house, in our own place, and to receive great joy from worshiping you. And we offer that worship from the depths of our hearts, but we know that it does not end here inside this room or on this property, but it reaches out beyond into all Judea, Samaria, and as far around this globe as you would have us to go. I pray that you'd give us wisdom, help us to be open, help us to understand that you do not always call us to comfort or to that which we already feel good about, but to new things for your honor and glory in Jesus' name.
Our mission here at Geyer Springs is to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples who love God and love others. This is why we exist as a church. This is the purpose that orders everything that we do. This is not just what we do. This is who we are. And it's driven by the two great passages that we find from Christ in the New Testament in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we do in the Great Commandment, is how we are to do it. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We all have a part to play in the mission of this church and fulfilling the great commission and obeying the great commandment. William Carey said, I'll go down in the mine, but I need you to hold the rope. We're either holding the rope or going into the mine. We all have a part to play. And so let's pray just for a moment and consider the part that you play in making disciples in this church. So if you will bow with me and ask that each member, including yourself, including myself, recognizes our responsibility to make disciples. Now would you ask the Lord for the ability to love and bless those that he puts around us, those in our families, those in our friendships, those in our workplaces and schools. Would you pray for yourself now that you would know the ones that God is calling you to bless, those that know him and those that don't know him. You would have clarity of mind and sensitivity to the Spirit's leading and prompting in your life. And finally, would you just ask the Lord that he would make our church faithful to take the gospel to all the world, to all peoples. Lord, this morning we are called to glorify you. And in doing that, we do that best by making disciples who love you and love others. Father, I pray that that would be the driving force of all that we do as a congregation, as the body of Christ represented here in central Arkansas. And Father, I pray that that would be an extension, not only around us, Lord, but to the state and to the nation and to the world as we send others to reach people who have yet to hear the gospel. And Father, we can't do that if we're not reaching those around us. And so, God, I pray that you give us a sensitivity and an obedience to your spirit in leading us to share the gospel and those that you put into our path, to build relationships, to love and to serve those around us, which might open the opportunity for the good word, the gospel, the good news to go from us to them brought by the power of your spirit. And Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ.
when we encounter the Lord as we have through a fast such as this, God changes us. Uh, and out of that change, there is work for us to do. And God sets a call before us. And so we want to pray today uh, for the work that the Lord has given us to do. Pray that he will call up and call out individual members of the body. And we want to affirm those whom he and support those whom God calls out. So we see in the early church, Acts chapter 13, verse 2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So let's pray about God's call upon our lives individually. If you would join me in prayer and pray for those in our body whom God is calling up to lead or out to serve. Pray that they will hear his voice and step out in faith. Pray that our body will affirm, encourage, and support those called to lead and to serve. And finally, pray for yourself. Pray that you will be open and obedient to God's calling on your life. Lord, we see and recognize in scripture that when your people met with you for extended fasts or Lord, just momentary encounters that because of your holiness and your righteousness, God, who you are, that Lord, you change people. And Father, you prepared them for a work that you set before them and you called them to a task. We see that through, through Moses, through Elijah, Lord, in Jesus' ministry. And Lord, I pray that we, as we have encountered you, that, Lord, our response would be like those great men of faith. And, Lord, I also think of Isaiah, who, whom he, who encountered you. And, Lord, he said, here am I, send me. Lord, we don't know what your call or your task is for uh, every individual in this room. But, God, you've called us to something. And, Lord, whatever that next step of obedience, whatever that call that you place upon our life, I pray that just as with Isaiah and all that we see in Scripture, that, Lord, we would respond in obedience and take that step of faith. And, God, I pray that we would cling to the promise of the Great Commission to be reminded that no matter what you have called us to, you have promised that you will be with us to the end of our in the end of the age. Or this is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, men. What a great way to uh, wrap up our time together in uh, in corporate prayer. You know, psychologists tell us anything we do from somewhere in the range of four to six, seven weeks uh, usually helps us develop new habits. So I'm hopeful that many of us have developed some habits over the last 40 days that will stick with us and help us walk uh, even closer to the Lord. And I've had a lot of conversations, not just emails, but conversations with uh, individuals over the last 40 days, and it's exciting to, uh, to see. It's encouraging to see the work the Lord is doing. And, and we're in a special season right now. I don't know if you've seen and recognized that, but it seems like since Easter, we've just been in a special season. And I'm hopeful that our responsiveness and obedience to the Lord enables us to continue to see him work among us. Well, as God has blessed us and is blessing us, we want to be a blessing. We've been talking about 
um, how we can bless our neighbors. Who's a neighbor? It could be someone that literally lives next door across the street, could be a coworker, could be a classmate, teammate, anybody that we have uh, contact with, regular contact with in the natural flow of life is our neighbor, and we wanna bless our neighbors. With that in mind, let me mention something very quickly. Um, how many of you in this room and in the venue as well have a child that's gonna be involved either in upward football or cheer? Put your hands up real high in this room and also in the venue, okay? Um, those of you that have a child that's about to be involved in upward sports, we're beginning a new initiative this season just simply called Mission Upward. Uh, we know that every upward season we have, we have a lot of unchurched families, a lot of uh, non-believers who are there, and they're sitting right there on the sidelines, right beside you as parents and grandparents. So we want to equip you in a very simple way to engage with them. We're not going to ask you to share the gospel message during the game. We want you to be able to watch your child and, and uh, be enjoying uh, your child out playing sports. But you're sitting right there with some people who have no relationship with Christ, no relationship with the church. We want to equip you. Next Sunday, the 28th, there's going to be a training time at the station. That's our mission center out at, uh, at Raymar, at, at where our upward fields are. You can bring your kids with you. The playground will be open. We'll have people there to supervise your children. They'll just have fun and, and play. It'll be a short meeting. But we want you to come next Sunday, the 28th, to the station for just a very brief time of training because we want you to be on mission. As we're talking about blessing and loving our neighbors, we have a phenomenal opportunity over the next several weeks. So I hope you'll make note of that and plan to be a part of that next Sunday afternoon. Well, there are five practices <clears throat> that we're trying to put into play in order to bless our neighbors. We can remember those by the acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. -S. First week, we started uh, with the letter B, and that is that we begin with prayer. If we're going to bless our neighbors and see them come to faith in Christ, it has to start with prayer, because it's God who moves uh, in the heart. It's God who does the work of opening the mind to the truth. Non-believers are blinded to the truth. So God has to open their hearts and open their mind to the truth. And it's the Spirit of God who draws them to salvation. Now, keep in mind, as you're praying for your neighbor, uh, God, in your time of prayer, can reveal some things to you about your neighbor. God can tell you some specific things that you need to do in order to bless your neighbor. And as you pray for your neighbor, it's also important to remember that God is gonna work in you as well. Uh, prayer doesn't change God, it doesn't change God's mind, it doesn't convince God to do something. Prayer aligns us and makes sure that we're aligned with the plans and purposes of God and it prepares us to be used by him in the work he's doing. And by the way, if you missed the week that we covered prayer, on the counters out in the lobby are some very simple scriptural prayer cards. One side is how to pray for yourself, biblically praying scripture, the other is how to pray for your neighbor. The letter L that we covered last week is the challenge to listen. And as we said last week, we have to remember that there's a, there's a difference in hearing and listening. Uh, you've all had the experience of your spouse or your child or your parent hearing you while they were engrossed in something else, in social media or television or, or some other pastime, and you knew they heard you, but you knew they didn't listen. Hearing's just an awareness that, that there's noise, that there's something going on. Listening is hearing and receiving what someone has said. If we're a good listener, we're tuned in, uh, both ears. We're not watching our April watch as messages come in. Um, we're not trying to think of our response, refute what they're saying, think of the next thing we need to say. We're just tuned in and we're, and we're present with the speaker. Why is that important? Because many of our neighbors 
whether we realize it or not, many of our neighbors ha have heartaches. They have distresses. They have burdens and struggles that they're carrying. And what they most need and the greatest gift we can give them is to listen to them. By the way, if you weren't here last week, I believe the message on listening is second only to the one on prayer. Uh, that's the foundation for the things that we're going to do to bless our neighbor. If you weren't here last week or if you were here last week and you weren't listening, um, I would strongly encourage you to go back and, and listen to the message on listening. It's on the website. Um, it's on the app. Uh, last week, August 14th, it'll say listen to the message title. By the way, when you tune in there, just so you're not confused, the first 18 minutes or so is Adam Miller giving us a mission report on the Amazon, which is great. You need to hear that. But at about the 1830 mark, you can hear the message on listening. All right, this morning we're going to cover the next two letters in the word bless, and you're going to have to listen and tune in fast, okay? We're going to bless our neighbors by beginning with prayer. We're going to bless our neighbors by being a good listener. And as we develop the relationship, the next two practices are going to be to eat together and to serve our neighbor. So here's all five. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then story is what we're going to cover next week. Okay, let's get into letter E, eat. I don't know about you, but if someone tells me I can be a blessing by eating, I'm all in, right? Especially after the last 40 days. We want to bless people by having cake and ice cream with them. All right, we've said the practices we're learning come from the practices of the life of Jesus. You can see these things in the gospel. What do we know about Jesus? He came, although he was God, he came and he lived in a human body, a limited human body. What does that mean? It means he had to eat. And even in, in something as, as simple and necessary a function as eating, Jesus had purpose. Listen to me. Jesus ministered when he was eating. Now that may sound kind of foreign, but Jesus ministered when he was eating. And you see throughout the Gospels many occasions. There were occasions when he ate with his followers, with those who had accepted him as Messiah. Of course, he ate a lot with the disciples during the three years of earthly ministry. And even after his crucifixion and resurrection, they had meals together. A lot of times those meals would include a time of instruction, but he ate with them regularly. He ate with friends like, uh, like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He ate with the two disciples who, whom he encountered on the road to Emmaus. But Jesus also ate and probably actually spent, other than the disciples, more time with people who had not received him as Lord. And as we said last week, he even spent time with people who would never receive him. I'd go so far as to tell you that he even ate with people who were complicit in his death. You know, the Gospels don't record every single account of Jesus' life. John, in the very last chapter of the Gospel he wrote, the book of John, verse 21, verse 25, John said, there are many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. So we don't have every single action that Jesus uh, took but we do know from the Gospels, we have a clear picture of his activity, of what was normal for him in the events that were presented. And one of the things you'll find in the Gospels is that Jesus often ate with sinners and tax collectors. It's interesting those two things are separated. Sinners were actually immoral people. Typically, prostitutes were called sinners. But tax collectors, they were even worse. They were the scum of the earth because they betrayed their own people. But Jesus ate with them. In the book of Luke, just in seven chapters, you can find that he ate a meal at the house of Simon the Pharisee, he ate in another Pharisee's home, and then he ate in the home of one of the chief 
Pharisees. You know who the Pharisees were. If anyone was against Jesus, it was the Pharisees. Three instances in those chapters, you see Jesus eating with Pharisees, and of course, many other times he ate with sinners and tax collectors. In fact, let's take a quick look this morning. Look over in Luke chapter 7. The meal at Simon's house is one of my favorite examples of Jesus eating uh, with sinful people, with, with sinners and tax collectors, and even the Pharisees who hated him and were the ones who instigated having him put to death. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kiss his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And I didn't, I didn't put this up on the screen, but look at verse 40. Simon, this Pharisee, notice he said to himself, but verse 40 says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. That's hilarious to me. Simon is thinking these thoughts, and Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. Simon, I have something to tell you. And we're not going to read the rest of the story, but basically Jesus explained to Simon, Simon, your problem is you don't even realize you have need. This woman recognized she has great need, just like anyone, and that's why she loved so much. But here's the scene. Simon the Pharisee probably has a, a pretty big house, and the way these dinners, the way these banquets, the way these feasts went, it was kind of a, a courtyard area um, in, in the middle of a house, and it had gates that opened out onto the street. And Simon may have had a lot of different dignitaries there. There may have been other Pharisees there. He would not have invited sinners to his banquet because they were so below and so beneath him. But Jesus was invited. And because the outside doors were open, people who lived in the city could come just kind of gather around. Sometimes they would slip into the room and stand against the walls and hear what was going on. So even though Simon didn't invite them, the room probably had several sinners in it. And this woman who came, who was a sinner, was a prostitute. And she came in and, and was there with Jesus. So, and what I want you to see from this account is Jesus shared a meal with basically anyone. It didn't matter where they fit in the strata of society. But understand that in Luke, three times we see him dining with Pharisees. These are the very people that were antagonistic toward him. And yet he repeated this pattern over and over again. He didn't go places where he knew he'd be warmly received. In fact, part of the story here with Simon, Jesus wasn't warmly received. It was customary when a person came into your house because they wore sandals and the, the roads were dusty, it was customary to have a servant wash their feet. Simon didn't even do that for Jesus. He didn't show him that much respect. That's why this woman came in and washed his feet with this ointment and, and wiped his feet with her hair. And so Jesus ate with people that were not considered part of um, good society. And in fact, Jesus spent so much time in fellowship and eating with sinners that the religious establishment, the religious leaders, the Pharisees were constantly questioning the disciples about this practice of Jesus of eating with sinners. In fact, on one occasion, in, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees asked that question, and in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when Jesus heard them asking the disciples that question, he said to them, listen, those who are well have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus chose to eat with sinners because they needed to know that repentance and forgiveness were available because that's the cure to sin. He didn't come to hang around people who thought they were righteous because they felt like they had no need, just like Simon. He came to hang around sinners and he knew they needed contact with him. For a sinner to understand repentance and forgiveness, they needed contact with Jesus. You know, I mentioned last week, you, you can proclaim the gospel from a distance and without compassion and choose not to get yourself dirty, but it's not going to be very effective. The effective presentation of the gospel, those who are apart from Christ, cannot be reached without the touch of Christ. Well, how does the touch of Christ happen today? You and for me. We're the touch of Christ to those who need to know about repentance and forgiveness. I think sometimes we we shy away um, from getting involved with certain neighbors who are sinners because they they do things or they have reputations that that we don't want to get too close to. We we don't want to get soiled. And maybe we even think, you know, if they didn't do such and such, or or if they were more this way, then, then we could probably be friends. Jesus didn't consider that with sinners who were his friends. We have to look past the nature and see the need. We have to look past the the habits they may have and and see the heart that needs change. Jesus did not require people to change before coming to him. He sought them out and extended grace. I love what Paul says in Romans 2.4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. That's why you and I are here. That's why we know Christ. Because we recognize the kindness of God that in spite of our sin, he still loved us. He still gave us grace. Well, they don't know the kindness of God. They've got to see the kindness of God. How will people experience the kindness of God? That's the question we need to ask. We see that neighbor that's living a a horrible life or that has a bad reputation. We need to say, well, how is he or how is she going to know the kindness of God? Because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We need to be very careful that our neighbors don't become victims of the holy huddle. What do I mean? We need to be careful we're not leaving them out because we only fellowship or we only associate with our kind. We're much more comfortable with our kind, aren't we? Absolutely. But our calling is to do what Jesus did, to get out among people that are not our kind. And I would suggest this morning, if you've never considered that, maybe just consider tithing on your meals, meaning when you go out or when you're with friends, maybe just one out of every 10 times, which is is really, really small, not even a sacrifice, maybe just that often you could sit down with a neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Why is that so important? Listen, you you know this, when you you sit around a table, it breaks down walls and, and it fosters community. When you sit around a table with someone who doesn't know Christ, just in the little things that happen around the table, you're able to demonstrate grace, the grace of God to to those people. Well, I don't need to spend a lot of time here on practical steps and and how-tos. You know how to have dinner with people. But let me just mention a couple of helpful thoughts. One is if if you're uncomfortable with with the thought of serving dinner in your home to, to someone you don't know well, then start with dinner out. Take them out. If you're uncomfortable or you're a bit unsure of yourself, then partner with someone else. Partner with another, another family in your neighborhood for, for a cookout or a dinner 
with some neighbors who need to know Christ. The, the practice of eating together is incredibly powerful. Just think if every member of our body said, uh, I'm going to make it a regular practice of inviting a neighbor into my home. We could literally change our part of the world just by eating. I'm all in. You? Well, we've covered three practices. We've talked about beginning with prayer, listening, and eating. The fourth practice goes hand in glove with the third, and that is the letter, first letter S, is to serve. It's to serve. It goes so well with eating. When we get to the point of being able to share a meal together, we're ready to move into service. You know, it's very evident in Jesus' ministry how important service was for him to serve. Here you've got the most powerful man on the planet who ever walked the face of our planet, the man who was more worthy and could have demanded service from every creature he made, and yet he gave himself as a servant. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The great thing about service, just like eating, is it puts you in close proximity with your neighbor. It's very, it's very personal. It's very uh, powerful. Now, I'm not suggesting you start there. You, you, you can't start with service if there's not some depth of relationship. But if you begin to put into practice the first three steps, praying and listening and eating, serving is a very natural next step. Because the order of the steps in the word bless, the order of the steps um, a, a blessing builds a deepening bond in the relationship. As you're praying for them, your heart is drawn to them. As you're listening to them, your hearts are knit together, especially as they share difficult things. As you eat, another great bonding experience. And as you do those things, it becomes easy to have the opportunity to serve. You, you probably know from your own experience, it's hard to let someone serve you, isn't it? It's difficult to let someone serve you. It, it's difficult to ask someone to, to help you for most of us, but the depth of relationship makes it a whole lot easier. Now, serving is like listening. There, there is some preparation required. If you're going to listen well, you have to deal with distractions ahead of time. You have to keep yourself focused. Well, serving requires preparing yourself to make sacrifice. If you're going to serve, it's going to take some of your time. If you're going to serve, it's going to be inconvenient at times. If you're going to serve, you have to expend some energy and, and you have to get dirty. But as you develop a relationship looking to bless your neighbor, if you'll keep your eyes open and look for opportunities, they will be there. They're not likely to ask you. But as you see opportunities, you can step in. Here's another thing you can do. As you get to know their hobbies and you get to know their interests, you can find things to serve together. There are times that we have service opportunities here as a church body that you can invite a neighbor to and know they're not going to get preached at, they're not going to feel uncomfortable, they're just going out to serve along with you. And here's something even further, and this is amazing. I've had several counselors tell me that sometimes the best way to get someone to open up is to ask them to help you, to ask them to serve you. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive. Why, why would I ask them to serve me? I'm trying to serve them. If you have a need and your neighbor has the expertise or is good about whatever your need is and you ask them to serve you, Believe it or not, they'll be very gratified that you asked them to serve. And so as you think about blessing your neighbors, you think about the principles especially of, of eating together and, and serving together, your neighbor is going to begin to see you as a trustworthy person. 
Think about the process you've moved through. You've been praying for them. They may not know that until you get to the point of listening, and then you have opportunity to ask them, can I pray for that, and talk to them about what you're praying for. But as you have prayed for them, as you have listened to them, as you have shared a meal with them, as you now are looking for opportunities to serve them, they're going to see you as a person of genuine love and concern, and they're going to call on you. Not just to serve in a way that you need to do physical things to help them around the house, but they're going to call on you when they're having a struggle. They're going to call on you when when they're in difficulty. They're going to call on you because they know they can count on you. And when that happens, they're likely to ask you why you're different. And they're likely to ask you why you're willing to invest in them and why you're willing to serve them. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Would you bow with me this morning here in in the worship center, in the venue, online? Would you just bow for just a moment? These are very, very simple messages we've been sharing the last few weeks, but very practical. We're taking the examples we see from the life of Jesus and the Gospels and how he so effectively ministered to so many people and trying to apply these things in our own lives. It must begin with prayer. The Lord has to burden you to pray for your neighbor, to ask God to open their eyes, to have the scales fall where they're blinded spiritually. Ask the Spirit to draw them. It's got to begin with prayer. And then we have to listen. Really listen. Not just uh uh-huh and a few head nods, but hear the words and hear the emotion, hear the heart behind the words. And, And the better we get at listening, the more they're going to open up. Eat a meal together. Serve. Simple, practical approaches, but worthless unless we put them into play. I hope during these weeks and during this morning, God is putting someone on your heart, some neighbor, someone you have regular encounter with, and beginning to give you the vision for what it would look like to put these plays into practice. You're here this morning and you don't know Christ. Maybe you've never had a relationship with a neighbor that expressed the love and concern and the grace of God to you. If you're here this morning and that's you, God has drawn you to this place that you might hear of the grace he has toward you, of the mercy he has toward you, of his desire for relationship with you. The end of our service this morning, if you're up in the venue, there's a banner in the back of the room that just says next steps. If you're in the worship center, I'll be down in the front. We'll have pastors out in the lobby, easily identifiable. We just want to help you take the next step in coming to know Christ, the next step in relationship with Christ. We're just here for you, to pray with you, to provide any counsel you need. Many of you in this room, many of you in the venue, many of you listening online know Christ. And God has given you a purpose. 
He has blessed you to be a blessing. How will you bless your neighbor that they might come to know the grace and the love of God? What has the Spirit said to you this morning? How do you need to respond?